You're listening to the Winsight Podcast Network. Hi, welcome to CSP's At Your Convenience Podcast. I'm Rachel Janak, editor at CSP. Today, I'm talking to Cameron Watt, president and CEO of InTouch Insight, the company that helps CSP conduct its annual mystery shop. I'm here with Cameron at CSP's Outlook Leadership Conference in Los Angeles. Hi, Cameron. Are you enjoying the event so far? Absolutely. It's uh, it's a, always a wonderful event, and there's nothing better than the Southern California weather we're experiencing. Yeah, totally agree. Thanks for being here. So first off, can you talk about what Mystery Shop is and how the winner is decided? Sure. The the uh, InTouch Insight CSP Customer Experience Award that we give out is based on two different things that we do. First, we visit the banners, the various chains. We visit a whole bunch of their locations, up to about 100 of them. And we do one visit where it is called an audit, which means that it's over as an activity. So we will show up and we will do it unannounced. They don't know when we're coming. They don't know which location we're going to necessarily. But we'll show up with a letter of authorization, say, hi, surprise, we're here. And that lets us, because it's it, we announce ourselves, it lets us look at things in a lot of detail. It lets us check everything from expiry dates to temperatures to standards in a way that you can't do as a regular customer. And then we also do a second visit, not necessarily to the same locations, but to the same chains and their locations. We do a covert activity. And that covert or mystery shop activity is where we go in and we go in as a regular customer. We have a regular customer experience and we leave and they never know we were there. And that is the only way in which you can measure things like employee friendliness, wait times, things that will naturally adjust if you know the person is there to do those type of measurements. So we do a, the overt activity, the covert activity, and then we combine those scores for each of the brands. And that's how we determine who, in fact, has come out as the winners for the award each year. Okay, great. How do you select the participants? We select them from a variety of ways. I can tell you that the number one thing for me is an individual by the name of Mitch Morrison, who works for CSP and for Winsight, and he is very helpful in finding people who want to participate. And sometimes people will reach out to Mitch or myself and say, hey, we want to be part of the study this year. Um, sometimes we will reach out to banners and say, hey, you know what? You guys are uh, doing some interesting things. We'd like to see you guys participate this year. And other times it's just it's through word of mouth, even in the industry. But really, we want industry-leading people who, who want to compete. You know, we want banners who want to see how they're doing against other participants. And uh, Mitch reaches out, I reach out, and it's really a team effort between ourselves and Winsight. And I can tell you that every single participant gets access to their individual data. So every data point for each of their stores, every comment made by a shopper, everything is given to them. No charge, no obligations off court. They just get given that data. And they also get all the benchmark data. So there is a pretty cool reason to participate. So sometimes people are chomping at the bit to do it. And sometimes we have to go and suggest, hey, why, why, you guys might want to really do this. And it's kind of a bit of a mix and match. And uh, there's a few people that are in it most years. And there's a there's changes year to year as well as people move through their various life cycles and their, and their banners. Right. It's a great way to audit yourself and see those results firsthand. This year's winner was Rudders, and this is the chain's fourth victory. We'll talk more about that a little bit later, but first, I am wondering if you can tell me how Mystery Shop has evolved over time. Yeah, you know, if you look at the actual program that we've done with the magazine, it goes back well over 12 years now, a long time. It, initially, it was only a mystery shop, and that's what it was. And that's why we still call it that, because it really was uh, strictly a mystery shop. About six years ago, we decided to get more detailed, more in-depth, where we would say, you know, let's just not make it about one visit. Uh, let's do multiple visits. Let's do it. Let's get that overt activity. Let's get more detailed and really look at how these banners and these operators are running their locations. 
And, you know, that was a, a game changer for us in terms of quantity, quality of data, amount of information. And we then from there, we said, well, now that we have all this information. Why don't we, you know, since we are learning so much about operational organizations, why don't we turn it into an award? And so then it became an award. So it's been a bit of an evolution over a long period of time to kind of have it where it is today, which is in a place I think we're, we're pretty happy with how it's going right now. What are the benefits of having the revealed audit in there now? Well, you know, you can just simply get to things you couldn't get to any other way. For example, I mentioned expiry dates. I mentioned temperatures. There's also just detailed cleanliness standards, everything from the forecourt to the washrooms to the cooler conditions. You know, you can just check a lot of things. It also is interesting because when you're there in that basis, we actually show the results to the manager on duty. And we say, this is what we observe. And so it, it does two things. One is it shows them in real time where their deficiencies might have been on that visit. And they also sign off on that audit so that if anybody later, you know, from an integrity standpoint says, oh, well, that's not true or that wasn't real. Well, your manager says it was real, you know, so it's, it actually puts a, a great deal of credibility in the in the, the, the whole program, as well as provide some really cool real-time feedback to people that you can't do when you're, when they don't know you were there. Hmm, that's interesting. The runners up of this year's audit were really close to the point where time was added. Can you talk about how close the scores were and what this means? Yeah, I mean, the the scores were within a percent, basically, for the top. So, I mean, it was, it was crazy how close they were. We were getting into tenths and hundredths of percents to look to see who was winning and losing in second and third. And I think if you look at the scores over time, you know, the audit scores, actually, interestingly, over the last six years, have been fairly, and I wouldn't want to say stagnant, I'd say stable. They started fairly high, and they have go up and down a percent here and there, 2% here and there. Uh, but they're relatively stable if you look over the last six years, and partly because those items are, you know, really mainstay staple items that should be just going on. I mean, really, the audit score, you should be aiming at 100% because we're, we're measuring standards that should be done all the time. Mm-hmm. And so we've always seen them in the mid-90s, you know, low to mid-90s. The mystery shop score, however, which is, you know, intuitively much more variable because how people are acting, how they're feeling, the friendliness, customer service, that can have a lot more variability to it. We've actually seen those scores uh, steadily increase over the last six years to where in the last couple of years, you know, one year the mystery shop score is a little higher, the other year the audit score is a little bit higher. It's kind of come up to meet those audit scores on the, on the customer experience side in terms of mystery shopping for the customers. And that's cool to watch. So the mystery shop scores have actually come up and done better relative to the audit scores. And now they're almost, you know, neck and neck. And it's it's really a testament to how tight those scores are. The people have really been improving in those areas that we've been measuring. And the industry has been improving those areas we've measured. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's a result of improvements in hiring practices and training? I think it's a combination of things. I think that obviously hiring, training, retention, all of those things play into to those variables. I think that the industry has started paying more attention to it. You know, interestingly, as much as we've seen our scores increase, we also still today, you know, just this spring, we asked consumers what was the number one thing that they wanted to see convenience stores improve on. And the number one item actually was better made prepared food. Oh, okay. Uh, which was a bit of a surprise that that would be the number one. That was great to hear. It means that they want to come on the journey with us for share of stomach. But the, the number two was friendlier staff. 24% of the people said friendlier staff is something they want to see. So it's, it's as much as the scores are getting better, there's still room to go as we look at these training and retention. But I think the industry has put more of a focus on it. And I think as a result of that, expectations have also increased by consumers. And so you're seeing people even want more of it because we've started to become as an industry somewhere that's supposed to be customer friendly and have customer service and have the prepared foods and have the free Wi-Fi. And it's not the same environment as it was 50 years ago. And I think that we're seeing the industry focus on it. 
And I think we're seeing culturally organizations put a focus on the customer and on that experience with their employees. And so I think it's, of course, hiring the right people. If you hire the wrong person, you've got the wrong person. My dad used to say that if you hire a dud and you train a dud, you have a well-trained dud. (laughs) I do think that's a part of it, but I think it's more fundamental than that. I think it's cultural in terms of how the industry is putting importance on customer service that wasn't necessarily always there and and always there in all the The winner, Rudders, received an overall score of 97.88%, when the average score was about 94%. What are the top areas of success for Rudders this year? Look, when you're bringing in a score of almost 98%, everything's a top area. You know, I mean, they have just done a fantastic job across the board. Interior cleanliness, exterior cleanliness, you know, friendliness of service. I I mean, I I can't tell you where their strength is, to be honest, because they're just really doing a good job. To get that kind of score, you have to both have all of your operational, everything from your coffee area cleanliness, all the way to your washrooms, all the way to your forecourt. You have to be nailing your operations there. And you also have to have your employees with the right behaviors at the same time. They did everything well. It was really cool to see. And it was even cooler to see the fact that people right below them were very high as well. We're, you know, we're getting to the point now where I think where we're going to have to maybe uh, make the standards a little harder because people's scores have come so high mm. over the last years, which, again, it's great to see the improvement. But as people improve, sometimes it's time to raise the bar. And I think those kind of scores, maybe more than anything, tell us that it might be time to raise the bar. Mm-hmm. How do you think you might raise the bar? Well, you know, we look at a certain number of things in the store right now. We can simply increase that number. We can start looking at areas that we don't currently look at, you know, where people could be doing more things. And we'll probably tap into a group of industry experts around the operator advisory council groups, determine what those areas might be uh, that we can add in that maybe people think, yeah, this is an area where the whole industry needs to get better. So maybe we layer that in where we're not measuring it today. You know, the the initial, we only launched it six years ago, the initial questions have really all been the blocking and tackling of the industry. The things that, like I said, really you should be aiming at 100% because it's the blocking and tackling. But there's lots of things outside that blocking and tackling we haven't included. But we'll have to get consensus from the industry on what is fair to put in for the for the contest in terms of things. That, yeah, we should all be doing better on this now. Let's go measure. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are the categories that could use some improvement? The areas for improvement are, are typically the pump island. I think it's because it's the farthest away from where the employees can touch it mm-hmm. on, on a very regular basis. It's usually an area that can use a little bit of work. And the stuff we measure around the coffee, um, sometimes it's things like having milk alternatives available. And sometimes it's just the sheer volume that's going on in that area can cause that area to be not as organized, stocked and clean, maybe as it could be. And again, it can be a volume delivery situation there. And that's often uh, a bit of an issue. You know, restrooms are always there for improvement, but they're doing much better these days as are things like the temperatures and coolers and things. It's, it's amazing that we do find coolers that aren't holding temperature properly, which, you know, should be 100. It's, it's almost never 100 across the study. Um, so there's always room for improvement here and there. But if I was going to pick one area, I would say that, you know, Pump Island is the area is most likely to find an issue in, followed by the high volume use areas. Before we go, do you have any final thoughts on what you'd like to see next year and how this year's audit went? I'm going to answer that like a politician. So I'm not going to answer the question specifically. I'm going <laughs> to, you know, go on a little bit of a tangent maybe. You know, as I, as I look to the future, and I, and I say like politics, I don't want to say next year because I think it's what I'm going to say is too early for next year. But, you know, we've been fighting for decades in this industry, share of stomach, you know, where we've been out there fighting for food service. We fight with QSRs. Uh, some of us are fighting with fast casual out there. I mean, there's convenience stores that have liquor licenses. So we're fighting for share of stomach on a regular basis. 
I think there's a new battle coming. And I think it's share of fuel because I think electricity may be the future of fuel at some point in time. And that might be 20 years from now, but it's happening a little bit every year. And now there's a land grab going on for having electricity at station. There's data out there. The Windsight Sister Company Technomic talked about the fact that sustainability is important now to consumers, especially young consumers, and having electricity available, charging stations at your at your location is a signal that you're environmentally friendly and you're a sustainability type of company. And so whether you believe it's important now or you believe it's going to be 20 years from now, the land grab is going on now for consumers and for money from the government and from things to get those charging stations out there. And I think that, you know, as I look to what, you know, what do I see kind of differently? I think we're going to have to start looking at some of those types of things as we measure. You know, this year, only 12% of the locations we visited had electric vehicle charging. And I say only, that's probably a pretty big number considering how much they cost to put in. <laughs> but that means there's a lot of room to go. And you've got Subway and you've got Taco Bell and you've got big box stores all also wanting to put in electricity. Mm-hmm. Because they want to get consumers into their location so they can sell them food. Fuel is the number one reason people come to convenience stores and fuel stations. Well, we need to be number one in fuel, and that fuel shouldn't be just gasoline. If it's fuel and if it makes a car go, we need to be the leader. I would just say that, you know, my final thoughts are we have to look at all the battles we're fighting right now. You know, not just share stomach and not just operational, but also things like share fuel and, and where there's a lot of a lot of different things going on out there, technology. And how it plays into all of these battles is it's it's just a really cool time actually in the industry I think with everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you, Cameron. Um, it was great talking with you, and I appreciate you giving your thoughts. Congrats to Rudders, and look for more on the Mystery Shop results in CSP's October cover story and online at CSPDailyNews.com. Thanks for listening to At Your Convenience podcast. Mm-hmm.